0: We worship you and makes a connection, Lord, with my heart to lift my praises among other like-minded, like-hearted followers of Christ here. Thank you for the privilege to do that, the freedom to do that right here this morning. I know that there are places where that cannot be done publicly. Grateful. Grateful for the access that we have to your word. So that we can at any time grab a Bible and listen to you, read a letter you wrote to us. Thank you for the gift of your spirit that takes the word and applies it. believe that your spirit is right here this morning, dwelling in the followers of Christ, dwelling in me in order to proclaim the truth of your word this morning, and I'm asking that you would do that here. And Lord, I'm asking that you would do that all across this city. Churches that gather under the banner of Christ, believe in the authoritative word of God, that You would just meet with them in power even as you meet with us here this morning. You send forth your truth this morning and accomplish great things, eternal things with it. Save many and grow many who are saved into more and more after the likeness of Christ. Thank you. Thank you. We just want to give you praise and thank you for what you're going to do here in the next few minutes. In Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. We are taking a pause on our series that we've been going through in the letter of the church at Rome, in our sequential series anyway, and we're going to spend. Anywhere from three to five weeks on a series regarding spiritual gifts, particularly our use of spiritual gifts in order to build up the body of Christ. So let me just begin by giving you a goal. This material is... What is comprises what we call Class 301 here. We have a 101 class. It's an introductory class to Cornerstone. Uh, many or most of you have been a part of that. It talks about who we are, what we are, and why we are as a church. And then here just a couple of weeks ago, we had a Class 201 that looks at uh, spiritual disciplines that we can participate in that help us to grow spiritually, to become more like Christ. And then this will be... Instead of doing it on a Sunday afternoon like Class 101 and 201, we're going to do Class 301 over a series of weeks here on Sunday morning, and 301 is about you discovering and using your spiritual gifts for the building up of the church. Let me just read you, and I'll give you some printed pages in the weeks to come as we go through this uh, course. I want you to be able to take it home with you, but... Let me just read you a goal for this series. It's to equip you to serve Christ through helping you to discover your spiritual gifts, teaching you to develop them and inspiring you to deliver them within Christ church. That's the goal. So let me just start off now with a definition, just kind of a layman's definition here. For spiritual gifts, this could be said, I think, in a number of ways, but let me just state it here at the outset, and then hopefully by the end of the series that will become more clear. Spiritual gift is the specific way or ways in which the Holy Spirit, by grace, works in and through a follower of Christ, empowering and using that follower of Christ to build up the body of Christ. The key verse, if I was just to give one verse that kind of set the stage and be kind of a guiding idea for the entire series would be First uh, Peter 4.10. First Peter 4.10. As each has received a gift, each follower of Christ has received at least one spiritual gift, and as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. So, where should we begin a study like this? I had that question before me as I was writing this material. What would be a good beginning place? What would be a good context out of which to speak to you for a number of weeks about uh, spiritual gifts? And I found a context in the Word of God that I believe is... So necessary and so profound. And it just so happens, no, this is just coincidence here, it just so happens that it's in Romans. So I'm going to ask you to turn to Romans chapter 12. A lot of great stuff in Romans. Romans chapter 12. What I'm going to do is I'm going to read the first eight verses and then we'll spend some time talking about at least the first two or three this morning. But here is the reason that we are looking at Romans 12, 1 through 8, particularly Romans 12, 1 and 2. There is a real critical context for the beginning of a discussion about spiritual gifts because usually the question is this. I've had the question posed to me many times over the years in ministry Pastor Brad, how do I know what my spiritual gifts are? Can you tell me what my spiritual gifts are? Now, I understand you tell me to use them, or I understand in the Word of God that I'm supposed to use them, but how do I know what they are in order for me to use them? Well, Romans chapter 12 is going to answer that question this morning. So let me read the first eight verses here, kind of to give the context. Paul writes, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. stop there. Clearly in verses 3 through 8 of that chapter, Paul is writing to the church at Rome, to the followers of Christ at Rome, and he is writing to them about spiritual gifts. That's the subject matter of those six verses. And so what I want you to see this morning, and what I want to use as kind of the springboard on this first week into the subject of spiritual gifts is that verses 3 through 8 flow out of verses 1 and 2. You see, well, duh. The point is, the context of 3 through 8 is verses 1 and 2. Said another way, the platform upon which the truth of verses 3 through 8 are given are the platform of truth in verses 1 and 2. There is a very direct, intentionally made connection by the author, by Paul, between verses 1 and 2 and verses 3 through 8. Let me give you the significance to help explain that connection The significance of Romans chapter 12 as a transition. Romans chapter 12 is the great transition in this greatest of letters ever written. Chapter 12 is where Paul shifts gears. For the first 11 chapters, he is writing about doctrine, very deep, weighty, theological truth. And he says fairly little about application. In fact, he doesn't say anything about application until he gets to chapter 6, I believe it is, the middle of chapter 6. But what he does in chapter 12 is that he completely shifts gears from doctrine to practice from the great deep theological truths that he has been discussing to the everyday practical how to, what to do as a Christian in chapters 12, 13, 14, 15, and 16. Very critical, so clearly made transition. In fact, Paul writes the same way in all of his letters. You can find a almost an unmistakable transition where after he's set up the doctrine, then he begins into the practice. But none as any clearer or more uh, pronounced than this one right here in Romans chapter 12. So chapter 12 marks a great transition. He takes the first two verses of chapter 12 to set up a couple of principles very critical, very influential principles that are going to set the stage for everything else he is going to say in the rest of the letter, in the next 12, 13, 45 five chapters. He's going to talk about several things over the next five chapters in groupings, but everything he says is connected to the principles he states in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 12. So after stating those principles, what is the very first subject matter that Paul comes to as he comes to daily living? He comes right to the subject of spiritual gifts in the life of the church. Specifically, he begins talking to the followers of Christ about how they should view themselves in their connection to the church even more specifically how they are to fit in what role they are to perform within the body of Christ now before we look at in detail at verses 1 and 2 Just consider the order of placement of that. He's going to go on to talk about, uh, in verses 9 of chapter 12, he's going to talk about interpersonal relationships with other Christians, and then he's going to talk about relationships with those who are not a part of the body of Christ. Then he's going to talk about how we are to respond to and relate to governmental authorities, So he's going to start hitting a bunch of categories. But the category that he first addresses, in order of sequence, but I also believe it's there because it's in order of importance, is that he comes right to the church and he begins to talk about, you can see it in verses 4 and 5 begins to talk about the church as a body with units, with members of the body, just like your body has members. And oh, how critical are the members of your body to you? Are your members pretty critical to you? You see, there is an order of priority here where Paul is pointing to the church and the individual follower in relationship to the church and saying, you need to get this right. This is going to impact the world if you get this right. So critical that you do what Paul is telling you to do in verses 3 through 8 because it is going to have major influence not only over your life, but also over the lives of those around you and ultimately over the kingdom of God, the eternal kingdom of God. So just keep that in mind as an order of priority here. So he begins in verses 3 through 8 talking about the body of Christ. But how does he lead into that? Again, verses 1 and 2. What is the context? What is the platform of truth from which he launches into a subject of spiritual gifts? We cannot separate the truth about gifts from the context in which it is set. So let's look at that. Verses 1 and 2. First of all, the first part of verse 1. Paul writes, "'I appeal to you therefore, brothers,' By the mercies of God. What is he saying there? Let me make the connection again. He's just written for 11 chapters about what? About the mercies of God. He has explained this situation that all of humanity is in, a situation in which we are all sinners and by sin, guilty and condemned. Condemned to what? Condemned to the wrath of God. The scariest thing in the universe, the wrath of God. And then he explains as the letter develops that there is a way to escape the wrath of God Even though you're a sinner and you deserve it, there is a way, and that way is in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, chapter 3, verse 20 and following. That what Christ has done is that He has made a way for you actually to have the very righteousness of God Himself, divine righteousness, perfect righteousness, so that your life meets the standard of, And escapes the wrath of God, not a righteousness that you earn or deserve or you work for, but one that is fully given to you freely by God's grace through what Christ has done on the cross. And then he talks about in Romans chapter 5, verse 12 and chapter 6 about what that means when you are saved, when you are in Christ and how God sees you. The fact that you have died to sin and been resurrected to new life. Verses 7 and chapter 7 and 8 about how we are free from the law and free from condemnation being in Christ. Verses 9, chapters 9, 10, and 11 about the perseverance of the saints and God's sovereign work in salvation that's going to be accomplished every time. And then he comes to chapter 12. And he says, therefore, based on the mercies of God, based upon that really incredible, indescribable, lavished gift of grace, God's Son on a cross, God's Son in a tomb, based upon that sacrifice, Paul says, here is what you should do. Here is the only legitimate, reasonable response to God on a cross for you. And it is this, that you, based upon the mercies of God, part B of verse 1, present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. The only action that is befitting a follower of Christ having understood what God has done for him or her, the only appropriate response is for you to come to God and say, okay, God, Based upon your mercies and what you have done, that indescribable act, here I am. I am no longer my own. I have given myself fully to you. You bought me. You purchased me. I am your servant. My rights are gone I will not exercise them anymore. It's all about you and your will and your rights. And So here I am, fully surrendered to you. That is what Paul is saying in verse 1. That's the context for the discussion of spiritual gifts that begins in verse 3. The context of a fully surrendered life, a living sacrifice. And what is that living sacrifice going to look like? I mean, what kind of a life is that going to be? It's not a dead sacrifice. It's a living sacrifice. And so how is that kind of a life, a surrendered life going to be lived? He says it right there in the last half of verse 1. A living sacrifice that is holy and acceptable to God. When you live a holy life, When you live a life where you are resisting and saying no to sin and a life where you are saying yes to the truth of God's Word and obedience to that truth, that life of holiness, which is a life where you are developing the thoughts like Christ and the attitudes like Christ and doing what Christ did and speaking like Christ spoke. When you are living that kind of a life, it is a life that is acceptable to God. Not that you earn anything by doing that, but it is an offering of worship. Do you see the end of that verse? That is your spiritual worship. The way that you can live out worship to God for what He has done for you is to live a fully surrendered life. You know, you can worship God on Sunday morning here for 20 minutes in our time of praise, and it's good that you do that. I believe God created us to do that. But that's just one little note of worship. One little note. What worship really is to be, comprehensively, it's to be a life lived. A life lived in total surrender, recognizing who Christ is and what He has done and the lavished grace and mercy of the Father in sending Him for you And being so compelled and motivated by that, that you fall on your knees before Him and say, I am no longer my own, I am yours. Now, let me just say this for maybe a little more clarity that can happen at salvation. I don't think very, rare, very often it does happen at salvation. Now, if That happened with you, you know, thumbs up. It didn't happen with me at salvation. I surrendered uh, to what I knew to surrender, but I had minimal knowledge when I first got saved. But as I really pursued the Lord, uh, I came to a place where I really sensed that the Spirit of God was saying to me, I just, I want you sold out. I want you sold out. And so I basically did what I just explained. I got on my face before God, and I told him that I recognized what he's done more than I had ever recognized it before, and that that sacrifice of Christ and the love of God in that sacrifice compelled me to just present myself to him. Now, please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I've made a lot of mistakes since then. And there are new levels, as I understand it, new levels of surrender uh, that I try to make, I encourage you to make. But clearly the context here for a discussion on the spiritual gifts in verse 1 is... The surrendered life. Let's look at verse 2. What is a surrendered life going to look like or be like? How will a surrendered life be different than the world around it? Paul writes, do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. This world, this world of sin in which we live and eke out our days here, it has a paradigm for operation. It has a pattern for how life is to be lived. It is a pattern that is fueled and driven by the sinful human tendencies of our heart. And it is a paradigm and a pattern that is promoted by and aggressively pushed by Satan and his cohorts. Satan is the prince of the power of the air. There is a very evil one and he has a strategy and he is continually trying to conform you to the pattern of the world. But Paul says, do not be conformed to this world. You're to look different than this world. I like the Phillips translation or paraphrase. It says, I believe it says it like this, do not let the world squeeze you into its mold. The world's trying to do that. It's trying to squeeze you into its mold, trying to make you shape like it's shaped and act like it acts and talk like it talks and trying to squeeze you into its mold. Paul says, don't be conformed. A surrendered life to the Lord Jesus Christ is going to be a life that looks different, that is not conformed. So what will it be? But be transformed by the renewal of your mind. It'll be a transformed life or a life that is continually, here's the idea in the Greek, continually being transformed. The word here is the root word from which we get the English equivalent metamorphosis or transformed. This is a metamorphosis. It is referring to a total change from the inside out. It is a change of heart, a change of mind, a change of the way that you look at the world, the way that you think, a change of your desires and your motives, a change of your pursuits and your goals. And because of that, a change in then your outward actions and how you live and what you do and what you watch and what you say and how you speak, and how you relate to others. It is a metamorphosis that we are to be transformed. And then Paul tells us the way that that transformation happens. And he explicitly identifies something that I believe has clearly throughout Scripture two components in it. And what he identifies is the renewal of your mind that you're to be transformed by the renewal of your mind. The two agencies that will work in your life to accomplish that transformation through the renewal of your mind, and here's how that works, folks. When your mind is renewed, when your mind begins to think the way that God wants it to think, then your actions follow suit to the renewal of your mind. Your actions begin to be renewed by the renewal of your mind that precedes that. Because what you think influences so directly what you do. And so, what is it that renews your mind? Two key things throughout Scripture. It is the Word of God and the Spirit of God. And they work in cooperation, actually, one is the tool and the other is the agent that uses the tool. It is the Spirit of God that takes the Word of God and uses it to renew the mind of the child of God so that there is a metamorphosis, a transformation in the life of the child of God into the likeness of the Son of God for the glory of God. That's the process. The Spirit of God using the Word of God to renew your mind and through that process transform your life from the inside out. So what verse 2 is all about is spiritual growth. It's about sanctification. It is What follows salvation, that instantaneous moment that you put your faith in Christ and at a moment in time go from being lost to being found, go from being in the kingdom of darkness to being in the kingdom of the Son of God, the kingdom of light, go from being dead in sin to being alive forevermore. There's a moment in time at salvation where that change takes place, but then from that moment there is the sanctification process that is a lifetime of growth, that is taking the reality of who you already are positionally, who God has already a co- what God has already accomplished by placing you in Christ in the spiritual realm and then fleshing that out in a growing fashion in the spiritual realm and I mean in the physical realm so that more and more you are beginning to line up the physical with what's already true in the spiritual. That's the process of sanctification. Happens through the renewing of your mind as the Word of God does that work. So What you need then is you need the truth. The Word of God doesn't renew your mind. It's not used as a tool of the Spirit of God to bring the metamorphosis if it is just sitting on the table closed or on your nightstand closed. It's got to be unopened so that it can be unleashed. It's got to be taken in so that it's sanctifying properties, Jesus said, sanctify them by the truth, your word is truth. So that the power of its sanctifying properties can be used in your life as you put it in through the work of the Spirit of God to bring about the metamorphosis, the transformation. So all of that is about spiritual growth. Verse 2. Folks, that's the context for a discussion, a teaching, an admonition on spiritual gifts. A surrendered life and a life of continual spiritual growth. That's the context. Remember the question again that so many followers of Christ have. The question is this, what is my spiritual gift? Pastor Brad, I know I need to be using my spiritual gift, but what is my spiritual gift so that I can use it? Watch how Paul now makes a transition at the end of verse 2 so he can launch right into the subject of spiritual gifts. He writes... That by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. That by testing, you may discern what God's will is. Let me put that together. Give your life in surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ, sold out to the Lord Jesus Christ, number one. Number two, commit yourselves to regular, consistent spiritual growth, taking the Word of God under the leadership of the Spirit of God so that you become like the Son of God in growing fashion. You do those two things. Surrendered and spiritual growth. And Paul says, then you can test and discern what the will of God is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Conditions, surrendered life, consistent spiritual growth. Promise, you'll be able to test and discern what the will of God is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. His will about what? i.e. verse 3 through 8, your spiritual gifts. That's the connection. You cannot separate without doing violence to the text, verses 1 and 2, with verses 3 through 8. So here's the answer. The answer to how can you discover what your spiritual gifts are. Paul gives us the answer right here. It is surrender your life fully unto the Lord Jesus Christ. Give up your rights. Recognize that you have been bought and paid for and that the only reasonable use of your life is in His surrendered service. I don't, I don't, I'm not talking about you getting into full-time ministry, but if God's telling you to do that, yeah, praise, praise His name. Let's do that. But in whatever you're doing, do it, live it as a surrendered act unto Him, an act of worship. And then regular to be, be committed to taking this right here, prayerfully and under the leadership of the Spirit, taking this right here and putting it in and working it out and applying it and living in obedience to it. And if you'll do those two things, then the promise is this. You will be able to test and discern what the will of God is for you. God doesn't want you in the dark related to your spiritual gifts. He doesn't want you in the dark. He doesn't like playing hide and seek, you know, up there, oh, he's not going to get it this week. It's not what God's doing. He wants you to know it worse than you want to know it. Think about how critical it is it is through the use of our spiritual gifts that the body of Christ, the, the kingdom of God on earth is built up. That is the only way. It is not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Jesus said, I will build my church and the way Jesus will build his church is that the Spirit of God lives in the follower of Christ and in very specific ways as He sovereignly decides, not based upon our merit, not based upon our worth, not based upon our value, not based upon anything that we've earned, but exclusively because of His grace and His sovereign decision, He determines, the Spirit of God does, how He's going to work in your life. He determines this is how I'm gonna work in Ash's life right here. That my power is gonna be displayed in this way. In Ed's life, this is how my power is gonna be displayed. In Julie's life, this is how my power is gonna be displayed in order that the kingdom of God would be built right here, right now, right in this church how the body of Christ will be built up, it'll be through the exercise of the gifts of the Spirit through the follower of Christ. That if we surrender our lives and we are committed to regular spiritual growth through obedience to the Word of God and its renewing and transforming under the leadership of the Spirit, if we will do those things, the promise is we are going to be able to discern what our gifts are. That is a promise. So here is how, let me just try to maybe picture, practically speaking, how that process of discovery then unfolds. If you have come to the place where you, recognizing what Christ has done, you surrender your life, you sell out, and you are consistently, regularly taking in A diet of the Word of God. Not just increasing your knowledge, but taking it in prayerfully and applying what the Spirit of God is revealing to you in obedience. If you are doing that, here is what I know that you will be doing. This is everywhere in the Word of God. That one of the chief characteristics, maybe the chief characteristic of a follower of Christ is that the follower of Christ no longer is to live a selfish life, but a selfless life, a life of servanthood. So as you begin to take the Word of God, and by the way, that is so different than the ways of the world, isn't it? The way of the world is, you know, get ahead and, you know, walk up on top of anybody else that you have to to climb the ladder and He who gets the highest is the greatest, and that is totally opposite in the Word of God. It is the servant that is the greatest of all. Jesus Christ, the model, who was in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. So as you are daily growing in your surrendered life, and you are taking the Word of God and applying it, here's what I know you're going to begin to do. You're going to begin to serve people. You're going to begin to serve people. Opportunities are going to be placed in front of you by the Spirit of God, and you're going to take those opportunities if you're living in obedience, and you're going to begin to serve. And here's what will happen. Maybe that service will be, you lead a, a life group, or lead a Bible study. And as you perform that act of service, someone will come up to you and say, wow, Cliff, as you were speaking about those three verses there, Corinthians, man, my heart was just burning within me. God was just speaking a very relevant, personal word to me as you were doing that. Folks, that is a confirmation. That is a discovery process where you could be beginning to learn, ah, maybe it's the gift of teaching that the Spirit of God is working in me. Maybe it's the gift of preaching, the proclamation of His truth. Another one of you, having surrendered themselves fully to the Lord, walking in a process of of spiritual growth and renewal, begins to have a burden for people that are disadvantaged or people that are down and out or those that are in great need physically or emotionally and your heart goes out to them and, and you are led by the Spirit of God to begin to minister to them in really practical ways, maybe just letters or notes of encouragement or actually going over and cleaning their house for them or bringing food to them or fixing a vehicle for them or whatever. And as you do that, it does your heart good. I mean, you're good at it and it does your heart good. And they are incredibly blessed and overwhelmed by the love of God through you. Well, there's, and they share that with you, there's confirmation, there's a path of discovery. Maybe you have the gift of mercy, or the gift of service, or the gift of helps. Maybe another one of you, just as you are living a surrendered life, and you are walking in daily spiritual growth, you begin to be led by the Spirit of God. You have been blessed greatly financially, and, and you begin to be led by the Spirit of God to contribute some significant amounts of money to desperate needs. And you do that, and when you do that, there is just a sense of joy that comes to you, fulfillment that comes to you, and God responds to that By being a greater giver than you can ever be. And that starts a process. Well, probably you have the gift of giving. There's a discovery process that takes place as you begin to serve. And you begin to hear how your life is ministering to people. And the ways that it is ministering and making some significant and eternal difference to them is an indication that those are the ways that the Spirit of God is working in you, speaking through you as a vessel to build up the body of Christ. That's the context here for the path of discovery of what your spiritual gifts are. So there is not a great shortcut that I know of. There are what, they, what I would call assessments, and I'm not opposed to these at all. They're simply, I know they can be misused, but assessments that try to help you determine what your spiritual gifts are. Now, again, I'm not opposed to those. I've used those myself. I have given those to people to use, uh, and we might before this series is done, I haven't decided yet, but we might have an opportunity uh, to use one of those assessments and try to help you understand what your gifts are. But the point, though, is there is not you know, a set of answers that you can put on a sheet of paper that's going to definitively tell you that. That really is going to be validated and confirmed as you are serving and the Spirit of God is using you in that service in specific ways, and there is a validation to the people that you are serving that is really connecting, and there is an indication then that that is the gift. Like if there was no validation, I get up here Sunday after Sunday, have for 15 years, if I'm boring everybody to tears and nobody's being changed, then I need to get off the pulpit because I do not have the spiritual gift of preaching. But if I have the spiritual gift of preaching, it grips the hearts of people. That's not me. That's God's Spirit, and God's truth. And it actually helps change them into more and more Christ-likeness or brings them to Christ for salvation. So there's a validation then in the operation of the gift so that there is a clear discovery of what the gift is. So my role as a, as a pastor, defined by God in His Word, is to equip the saints for works of service. So the way that I am sharing this morning to equip you To use your spiritual gifts is to discover what they are by surrendering your life and being engaged in a process, a continual process of spiritual growth. And as you live in obedience to the Word of God, there will be a recognition. There will be a discovery on what your gifts are. What we'll do in the weeks to come is that we will look over a list of the gifts in Scripture, not necessarily an exhaustive list, but a list of those that I can identify in Scripture as spiritual gifts. And by the way, I'm not sure that Scripture intends to communicate the exhaustive list of spiritual gifts, but I know that there is quite a list in there, and we'll look at that compiling several different passages together. I want to talk to you about how to develop your spiritual gifts. talked about discovery today. I want to talk to you about how to develop your spiritual gifts and then how you can deliver those gifts in service to Christ. So we'll spend the next three or four weeks doing that. I'd encourage you, to spend some time this week, I'd read through Romans chapter 12, I'd read through 1 Corinthians chapter 12, in Ephesians chapter 4, maybe those three passages right there, just to start giving some biblical context, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, some biblical context for spiritual gifts, we're going to be looking at uh, those passages in the weeks to come. Would you please stand? God wants you to discover what your gifts are. He promises to help you do that as you access the path, as you walk the path that he's laid out in Romans 12, 1 and 2. Let's pray. Father. Lord, thank you for your truth. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for the privilege of partnering with your Holy Spirit in doing work that is eternal, that is so significant that it will stand the test of time and will benefit Beings, immortal beings created in the image of God and recreated into the likeness of Christ. What a privilege that is. I'm asking you that you would let this be a significant series here in the next few weeks. Significant, and there would be great discovery taking place regarding individual spiritual gifts or great development fanning into flame those gifts and delivery of those gifts into the body so that the church is built and you are glorified do that I pray do that in Christ's name